Spike Lee's 1997 documentary, Four Little Girls, sets a really high standard, I think, for documentary filmmaking generally, and certainly for Spike Lee in terms of any future endeavors. His 2006 uh, multi-volume uh, documentary, When the Levees Broke, is every bit up to that standard. And it's a high standard, and it's absolutely met across hours of documentary film in When the Levees Broke. Of course, When the Levees Broke is Spike Lee's attempt to address the atrocity that was uh, Hurricane Katrina as both a natural and human catastrophe. Indeed, I think part of the you know, aim of the film is to make the argument against a purely natural disaster uh, remembrance of Hurricane Katrina and, and instead really understanding it as uh, an act of human violence. And in fact, specifically, an act of sustained, brutal and murderous anti-black violence. So what I want to talk about in the next piece is how Lee deals with death and mourning in When the Levees Broke. But I think before we talk about that part of the film, which really requires, uh, you know, to, to take on death and mourning in the moment rather than something very remote in the past, it requires a real uh, sensitive touch and I think expansive idea of representation and voice. And Lee, uh, to my mind, uh, absolutely uh, captures that ethical orientation in When the Levees Broke. But that's a second uh, uh, podcast piece. But the first, and so for me, the first question that we have to ask, or, or sort of uh, that Spike Lee asks us in the documentary, is to come to terms with the title when the levees broke, that it is not, you know, when Katrina, you know, flooded New Orleans or, or when, you know, the water overflowed or when the hurricane this or when nature that. It's when the levees broke. The levees in this case are completely uh, human made. They're manufactured by a local, state and federal government. Uh, they're, they're built and uh, monitored and maintained and adjusted by governmental forces. And so in some ways, I think what the levy system in New Orleans represents as a levy system surrounding an historically black city, it, what, one of the, the, the opportunities it affords Lee as a filmmaker is to address structures of anti-black racism that go beyond individual attitudes, right? or tendencies in terms of demographic distribution. You know, he's interrogated poverty, you know, abandonment, and so forth in, in great detail. But this idea of an institutional problem, when the levees broke, when the very title itself is addressed to the institutional structure of a catastrophe, it gives a chance for Lee in a documentary context to explore the structural problems that made uh, one of the greatest acts of anti-black violence in the post-emancipation era possible. To establish that, and I think that this is really important, 
Spike Lee doesn't go in immediately into institutional analysis. In fact, the institutional analysis, I would say, slow boils across the, the volumes, uh, all four of them. And in that way, Lee makes a documentary that documents, literally documents in terms of details and structures, what is meant by institutional anti-blackness or institutionalized racism. So rather than being a polemic, it's a, a slow demonstration of what institutional racism is, what it means to have systemic racism mobilized in the moment in order to murder and ethnically cleanse black people in and from New Orleans. But before he gets into that or alongside and in conjunction with that, there is for me this really interesting aspect of the film, which is that he repeatedly comes back to the distinctiveness and substance of black history and black life in New Orleans. It starts the collection, right? Or it starts the, the, the documentary, right? The multi-volume documentary in the first volume. But it also opens the third volume. And around the th 33 and a half, 33 minute and uh, 45 second mark of the third volume, where Lee really gets into the details of what New Orleans is as a black city and how we can't simply write that notion of blackness and black identity and black urban life uh, you know, uh, into New Orleans from other places. Anyone who's spent any time in New Orleans knows that it is, in some ways, one of, you know, the city least like the United States in the United States. Um, that you could say this about other cities. I think Miami has uh, certainly has a lot of that, um, but Miami has that because it's a real crossroads of the Americas, and you get, you know, immigrants and and international tourists, and just the diversity of of people who who live in Miami full time. But in the case of New Orleans, what you get is something very different in terms of its being a part of the United States and really like a cradle of all of those, or not all of, but so many of those things we would call American culture, right? It's a real cradle of all of that. Birthplace of jazz, but also the birthplace of all sorts of rhythmic and melodic structures that we think of now as characteristic of American culture uh, in terms of music, in terms of dance, in terms of speech patterns, and so on. And so for Lee, one of the things I think is really important about when the levees broke is to understand that the risk the city of New Orleans is put under after the levees broke, right, is that something is being lost that is not replicated elsewhere. In some ways, I think what he does in terms of the whole city of New Orleans and the whole history of New Orleans is very close to something he does six years later in Red Hook Summer in thinking very seriously about ethnic cleansing and abandonment, right? Whereas in Red Hook Summer, that abandonment and ethnic cleansing comes in the sort of everydayness of gentrification and the everydayness of the state having completely withdrawn from any kind of facilitating, sustaining, or protective role in relationship to African Americans. 
right? There's an everydayness in Red Hook Summer that is super important and makes that film important to my mind. But in the case of New Orleans and when the levees broke, he's doing it on a much broader, deeper scale because the city of New Orleans both is bigger, right? In the time expanse he wants to engage and when the levees broke is bigger than something like Red Hook Summer. But also because there is something non-transferable about the case of New Orleans. Non-transferable in that I don't think you can say anything like, you know, the the what's happening in New Orleans is something about the black Americas generally or about African Americans in Chicago or or you know Atlanta or New York City or Los Angeles. What we're talking about when we talk about black New Orleans and its history, it's all unto itself. And so for me, I think I see in, in Lee's constant coming back to New Orleans history and always underscoring what you see in New Orleans that you don't see elsewhere. That is, that is indigenous to the very idea of black New Orleans, but not present across the black United States. That really, I, I don't want to say turns up the volume on, but really underscores or makes it impossible for us to look away from the depths of atrocity unfolding before our very eyes when the levees broke and everything that happens in it, in its aftermath. I really like that. I really like that aspect of when the levees broke because I think it's important for uh, Lee to make a documentary about Katrina and its aftermath that is about actually the city of New Orleans. And he does not take an opportunity in that to tell the kinds of stories he usually tells. For that reason also, I think it's, it's, a, it's a step forward from Four Little Girls. I think Four Little Girls is as good as a documentary can, can be. I think it's so ethically done. I think it's beautifully uh, rendered in terms of its portraits of, of human beings, humanity, and loss. But it doesn't ha take on a task like when the levees broke takes on, which is how do you set aside as a documentary filmmaker who's made so many other kinds of films, how do you put aside all of your habits for framing, theorizing, and portraying and let the place speak for itself. On the one hand, that's exactly what documentary filmmaking is supposed to do. That's its sort of anthropological dimension. That's just supposed to be present to reckon and render, but not intervene in order to overly frame or make something that is other than you like you, right? But that's a very difficult thing to do, especially I think somebody like Spike Lee, who at this point is such an accomplished filmmaker and has such deep-seated habits. But he does it and accomplishes this, I think, in two ways. One, what I've been talking about, the way he is uh, attentive to the, the distinctive and really singular character of black New Orleans history and, and culture and the way it is not uh, transferable or uh, does not transact in a sort of one-to-one -one analogy or ratio with other sites of, of African-American cultural life. 
So he attends to the particularity, and that to me is, is extremely important. But there's also the, what he does in Four Little Girls, which is that this is another documentary where Spike Lee really pulls himself out of the film. And again, that's something that he never does, or very rarely, if ever, does in his fiction films. His fiction films, you know Spike Lee's hand is there. You see it in musical selections, you see it in the morality uh, uh, and politics that animate uh, uh, basically every film, right? There are variations and shifts because he grows as a person as he makes films, but in the end you can identify Spike Lee's hand. In the case of When the Levees Broke, one of the things I think is really admirable about the project is that he all but disappears his hand. That we don't actually say, well, this is Spike Lee, right? This is the Spike Lee moment. It is rather like Four Little Girls, a documentary film that trusts its interlocutors, that trusts its witnesses to do all the thinking and theorizing that needs to be done. And in that thinking and theorizing, I think Lee is able, obviously he edits, and so that's where his hand is, right? where he cultivates certain things that are said and makes them resonate across the project. Right, That's the craft and the artistry of editing in a documentary context. But having told the story of the distinctiveness of Black New Orleans and that to me being its its own kind of accomplishment in this. And he, he leans on Terrence Blanchard and Wynton Marsalis um, in some ways, right? On Marsalis and, uh, um, and Blanchard who tell the musical history in so many ways. But he also allows the cultural and political history of New Orleans to unfold in front of us in order to see uh, exactly you know, what... Um, what gives substance to Black New Orleans as a culture, and therefore, what when that disappears is the substance of ethnic cleansing, and a kind of uh, attempt at you know, and what it means long term. We're still watching it unfold, but what it would mean to think about a cultural genocide happening before our very eyes on television, and across time. In saying and in, in in documenting this, then he gives us the, the the question of history, right? And gives us a quick but really incisive vision of New Orleans, of Black New Orleans. I remember a student saying in this past uh, version of the course I taught, saying, "I know it's probably the wrong response, but what, however." disastrous and awful this documentary was it really made me want to visit new orleans and i remember like almost like leaping off the desk that i was sitting at to say that's exactly what the film wants the film wants to connect you in those important ways to the city of new orleans as a place that is is so saturated with its own black new orleansness that you want to be there right and of course, to the extent that it's not there, to feel political outrage. So I think we have to feel that connection and the depth and expansive historical vision of Black New Orleans cultural production and cultural significance. We have to feel that in order to feel the levels of outrage that Lee wants us to feel. 
when I talk about mourning and loss in the next piece, we'll have a chance to talk about his connection with human beings. But in, in this sort of first aspect, which I think is the framing of the entire film, he wants us through those personal connections to loss, to see through those personal connections uh, and loss, this larger question of cultural genocide and the death and the end of Black New Orleans, which seems visible by the end of the film in a really terrifying way. And for that reason, I think there are two scenes that, that you know, in, in terms of these kinds of, of questions we're asking. Uh, uh, two or three uh, scenes or parts of the film that I think are, in, are, are, are exemplary, right, and uh, illustrate this in, in such, uh, such emphatic ways. One is in the third volume around the 10-minute mark where Spike Lee recounts the famous Kanye West moment where he says on television during the telethon raising money for relief efforts says George Bush doesn't care about black people. And at that moment when he says that in the film, it's an exploration of that moment. And for those of us who, who remember it or who were there for it, right, this was an enormously important moment. It was, it was, shocking it was you know it elated so many people it enraged so many other people but it was a mo it's a moment in the documentary that is not just reminding us of here's what happened during this fundraiser or here's the thing that Kanye West said that people had a reaction to but is a way of saying having a character say not a character but having a person in the documentary say what the documentary is about which is that this nation doesn't care about black people. When the levees broke, well, the levees broke because they were made to be broken at the expense, at the cost of black lives and black culture. And so in the first volume, there's this other moment where, um, where they, uh, it's the first volume at the 24 minute mark where Lee entertains in the sense of documenting, right, entertains the 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 this the emergence of and the sort of reasons behind, rather than evaluating or shaming around it, these emerging conspiracy theories about how the levees were not built to protect black people and and who was behind it and why. Now they're conspiracy theories in that they say too much, but what I like about Lee's treatment of that is that he's making it very clear to us as viewers that even if these conspiracy theories are what they are, conspiracy theories, they're not actually theories about anything that's actually true in terms of the surface level facts of the, of the case. They nevertheless come from somewhere that is not only sympathetic, but ought to actually move us politically and ethically. Like, what does it mean to produce a city of black people who have every reason in the world to believe these conspiracy theories? Not because, you know, somehow black New Orleans is, is you know, uh, susceptible to crazy theories, but the opposite. That there's a kind of sober factuality of what ends up being a conspiracy theory, a sort of sober factuality that matches with white New Orleans history with white American history, with white Southern history. 
And so for me, there's a really, you know, just as that, you know, George Bush doesn't care about black people moment is so important. It's also important that Spike Lee, whatever he concludes or allows us to conclude about conspiracy theories in the film, he's not going to make it a case of like crazy people thought this. He's instead going to say, knowing what you know about New Orleans, knowing what you know about anti-black racism, here's a theory that actually makes complete sense, right? And I think you have to say, yes, absolutely, that conspiracy theory makes sense. So for me, that's less ends up being less of, here's something that happened, so we have to include it in the film. But very much like George Bush doesn't care about black people, it's a way of underscoring the indifference at the institutional level and at the highest levels of decision-making and planning that led to this human catastrophe. Also, in the fourth volume, there's this uh, uh, really, uh, for me, really important uh, moment when um, at the 57-minute 50-second uh, Mark, where Phyllis LeBlanc, who is probably my favorite in terms of, I think she's like, you know, maybe the best source of, of insight and wisdom in the documentary. She's just a resident of New Orleans, but she's someone who maintains across the film uh, this really important combination. I think it's the combination that the film is supposed to embody. And I think the film does, but it aspires like to be like Phyllis LeBlanc, right? To say, uh, to be enraged, to be conspiratorial, to be political, but also to be nostalgic, right? And to cling to something beyond the moment and beyond the future, right? To cling to you know, what was and maybe still could be Black New Orleans. And when she, uh, the way she sustains that across the film, I think is worthy of its own conversation and in some ways its own essay because it's really profound work that she does as one of the intellectuals in the film, right? Again, like four little girls, Spike Lee trusting everyday people to be sufficiently intellectual, to tell the intellectual story that the documentary needs. And Phyllis LeBlanc absolutely does that. But in volume four, around the 5750 mark, she makes this analogy that to me is really profound and just underscores what I want to get out of this first podcast piece on When the Levees Broke, which is the way Spike Lee stages this all-encompassing sense of anti-blackness in relation to the specificity of New Orleans as a frame that sustains, informs, and animates the entire film. And that's where she says what we saw happening in terms of the evacuation of New Orleans after the hurricane, during the flooding where people were were you know taken out of the Superdome and taken taken to other cities, or rescued by you know various organizations and you know flown away off of of interstate overpasses. All of these ways that people were taken out of the city of New Orleans, and families. He really documents this in the the in in the film. 
the way families were separated with no idea how to ever get in touch with each other again, and separated to different cities, different states, even different regions of the country. And LeBlanc says, you know, we've been through this before. This was the auction block under slavery. And when she makes that move at the close of the film, right, right near the end of the, of the documentary series, when she says, you know, what happened in the aftermath of the hurricane was what happened in the aftermath of the auction block. It makes us see what maybe we saw, but now we have to see when we rewatch it or remember it. All of those scenes of black people on top of houses, on top of buildings, on top of road structures, right? Anytime they stood out and above, that we have to see that as standing on the auction block. Because what followed from that was a part of American history and racist practice that hasn't been put behind us which is a comfort among white Americans with separating black families in their moment of greatest crisis in order to assuage our own needs, right? In the case of slavery, it was the need for cheap exploited uh, labor um, or for a sense of power and superiority that makes whiteness whiteness. And in this moment, I think we see the same thing, or Lee is suggesting through LeBlanc the same thing, right? To ask the question, what is white America getting out of this moment of immense black suffering shown on a massive scale on all of our televisions and in all of our newspapers, and therefore in all of our memories? And the response to that suffering and death of black people is to separate families and disperse them without any intention of their reunification or even possibility of contact. And so on the one hand, maybe somebody might say, like, look, we've, uh, you know, you're making too much out of this analogy. But I think LeBlanc makes it quite clear that there isn't too much being made out of this analogy, right? The analogy is visual, but it's also human in terms of disbursement and pain and loss and disconnection. And the traumatic after effects of that are just really profound. And Lee spent a lot of time on that, the traumatic aftermath. And one of it is, one of those traumatic aftermaths is linked to this reiteration and duplication of the auction block as a site of anti-black violence. Anti-black violence in terms of what it means to even have arrived there in the first place. What it means to have been made so vulnerable to death and suffering because of the way the levees were constructed. But in that moment of vulnerability, where you become or arrive at the moment that the entire racist structure has made for you, you end up being bought and sold and sent off in, 2000, in the 2000s, as if it were 1840, 1820, 1790 this sense of the auction block as a production of, a, of an anti-black society that then results in the dispersal and disconnection of black families and black communities is absolutely a tight analogy. And the only thing 
that hides is the intention behind it. But we can't name that intention. We can't have somebody come up and say, yes, we wanted to duplicate this thing called slavery. Instead, what I think it, Spike Lee is doing in this and what Phyllis LeBlanc is doing for Spike Lee is allowing us to understand that what happens and is happening in terms of the auction block or the highway overpass, in terms of the, the, the breakup of families and communities and their dispersal without contact, what's happening there is a symptom, right? A painful symptom of something we can't quite see. And we're left to give a name to that. Calling it anti-black racism is a, in some ways a, a boring way to 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 say what is unspeakably painful and terrifying yet that's the vocabulary that we have and that's the therefore the vocabulary we have to use but what we're naming is something we never see what does it mean to say george bush hates black people that there were these conspiracies that it felt like the auction block when we were waiting on top of a highway overpass it means that there's a felt common symptom, right? Like a body ache or a fever. And that thing that lurks behind it is this ghost that's never gone away. It's the ghost that made New Orleans in the past, right? It's also the ghost that made black New Orleans vulnerable in this moment. And it's the ghost we have to name, address, and revolt against if there is to be a thing called black New Orleans in the future, and if there is to be a thing called black people in this country in the future. Thank you.